In our text here, we see that Moses is at the end of his life. Uh, we see God referring to the fact he was not allowed to go into the land to, uh, to possess it. Anybody remember why? He struck the rock twice. God told him to speak to it and hit it uh, because he got angry. I read that in Psalms this morning where, where God rehearsed that again. That because uh, the, the children of Israel had provoked Moses, uh, they ticked him off is what happened. He got mad and he hit the rock and yelled at the people and said, you're a bunch of rebels. And God said, you're the rebel. And uh, because of that, he didn't let him go into the land. And, uh, and so and now it's been 40 years they've been in the wilderness, 40 years they've been out of Egypt. And now he gives his, Moses gives his farewell address. And as we look at this, I want us to see some things. First of all, the command. Look at verse number 46 there in, in uh, Deuteronomy 32. And he said unto them, Set your hearts unto all the words which I testify among you this day, which ye shall command your children uh, to observe, to do all the words of this law. The command, what's the command? Set your heart. The problem with the generation before, they had not set their heart. Uh, let me word it this way. You must plan to follow the Bible. And that's what he's telling them. Set your heart. Just plan right now to obey me. I used this verse uh, a week ago, Wednesday night, in, in Ezra 7.10. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. Ezra prepared to do it. Let me give you a few, few verses. If you're taking notes, I'll give you some references. I'll read through them quickly. So we have a lot of verses. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. So he's talking about the law. Uh, Deuteronomy eleven eighteen. Therefore ye shall lay up these words in your heart and in your soul and bind them for a sign upon your hand that they may be as frontlets between thine eyes. So God several times in Deuteronomy says, my words, I want them in front of you. I want them in your heart. I want you to see them on your wall. I love the fact we've got scripture on the wall here. Uh, you ought to have scripture on your walls. The children of Israel were commanded to do that. And Luke 9.44 says, Let these sayings sink down into your ears, for the Son of Man shall be delivered into the hands of men. Think about that. Jesus, speaking to the disciples, said, Let these sayings sink down in your ears. What's he saying? Pay attention, guys. Listen to me. How many times did Jesus have to do that to the disciples? I don't know if they were sitting there just zoning off. Anybody do that when you were in school? I'm in Bible college. I made the mistake of taking an 8 o'clock class on a Monday. In Bible college, how many of you went to Bible college? Okay, you know what Monday's like, because you've just had the whole weekend where you're just crazy busy serving, running bus routes, doing all kinds of stuff. Monday mornings, you're not even alive. You don't know who you are, and you don't care. I took this Monday morning church history class with a teacher that spoke in a monotone. He, could quote, he, he would teach church history with no notes in front of him. It was all up here, memorized. But he would drone on and on, and you're just sitting there going, Oh, yeah, yeah, that's all fun. And, and that's kind of what Jesus said to the disciples. Let it sink down in your ears. Pay attention to me. Are you hearing me? How many times he did that to them? Uh, in Hebrews 2.1, Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to those things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. If we're going to learn the Bible and obey the Bible, it'll be on purpose. You know, nobody became a strong, obedient Christian by accident. You had to decide to do that. One of the things I love about Daniel, he purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. 
Uh, Psalm 1. Uh, keep your place here in Deuteronomy, but turn over there. Psalm 1. Most of you could probably quote this one. Psalm 1. Yeah, that uh, psalm is before Isaiah, at least in most Bibles. All right, let's see what happens here. There it is. Psalm 1. And let's look at verse number 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Here we see God is telling us that that the, the man that God's going to bless is the man who, who, who doesn't go into the wrong counsel, doesn't listen to the world. His delight is in the law of the Lord. What is your delight? What is a delight? It's what thrills you. Uh, Brother Caleb, you start talking about guns and silencers, and man, his eyes light up. Am I telling the truth? Yeah, yeah, okay. I'll confess his sins. No, I don't have that issue myself. I don't have that issue at all. <laughs> I don't know. I, I've heard that you were talking that way. But anyway, uh, but, you know, we talk about what we love. You know, you heard about the guy at the, at the coffee shop, did you? Said, Have I told you about my grandchildren? And then fellow said, no, and thank you. <laughs> <coughs> we talk about those things. Uh, the Bible says that our delight should be in the law of the Lord, and his law doth he meditate day and night. What do you think about when you don't have to think about anything? You ever wake up in the middle of the night thinking about the Bible? Recently, there's a passage I've been studying and just, I was reading my daily Bible reading and it just kind of jumped off the page and I wonder when did God write that? I mean, did he just put that in there? I keep a little journal that I write stuff down when I'm reading. And that particular day, I have my pattern of what I'm reading and how many chapters. Yeah, I didn't get past that one chapter because stuff was just jumping off the page. I'm writing stuff down, outline two sermons, Probably going to be a third one out of that little series. I don't write sermons anymore. I write series of sermons. And uh, what happened? It just all of a sudden God got my attention. And several times in the last week, I have been awakened in the middle of the night thinking about those verses. I love it. God said, that's what you're supposed to do. It doesn't happen by accident. Uh, and, and to experience God's blessings, as we see there in Psalm 1, we have to obey His Word. And so back in, in Deuteronomy, if we'll turn back there, I did not leave a marker there. I should have. Now I've got to find it again. There it is. Deuteronomy chapter 32. Uh, so we see the, the, the initial command there uh, that uh, he tells us to set your heart. Verse 46, set your heart unto all the words which I testify you. But look at the rest of the verse. Which ye shall command your children to observe to do all the words of this law. So he tells us, set your heart. This is your plan. This is what you're focused on. And then he said, and then you'll command those to your children. The second command, besides set your heart, is to command your children. Now this word command is literally a military term. It's not giving a suggestion. It's a command. Um, How many military folks we have in here? Okay. All right, when you were in boot camp, did your drill instructor give you suggestions for the day? Uh, no. Um, our son John was in the Army, and he had originally was going to go in the, the Marine Corps and ended up in the Army, and then he sat. i never forget the one day we were sitting there with, with Dan Frost, our good buddy in San Diego, and he's a former Marine, and he was describing Marine boot camp, 
And John was praising God that he didn't go in the Marine Corps. He said, I would have killed someone and they would have killed me. <laughs> they don't give you suggestions. It's a command. It's a military term. Uh, um, it, it, it's the idea to give charge or to rule in um, in Bind's uh, Dictionary of Bible Words, it says this verb um, is a communication from a superior officer to a subordinate. It is his orders, his command. Uh, it's the establishment of rule. Notice what the Bible says there in verse 46. And he said unto them, set your hearts unto all the words which I testify among you this day, which ye shall command to your children to observe to do all the words of this law. Now think about it in the context The previous generation had not done all God said to do. The leaders of the tribes, except for Caleb and Joshua, were not willing to to go into the promised land. They said, we can't do it. God already said, I didn't ask you if you can. I just told you I'm going to deliver it. Just go. I love what, what Caleb said. He said, let us go up at once for we are well able to possess it. Why? Because God already said, I'll clean them out of your way. Just go. And so when you have the retelling of the law, he's saying, I want you to command your children. So just like your parents did not do, that's what I want you to do. You know, we talk about uh, heritage. I was reading that in Psalms this morning, that I have a goodly heritage. I thank God my parents were saved and dad's preacher. Mom was a missionary before she met dad. And, you know, my grandparents on both sides of the family had been Sunday school teachers. And it goes back generations. I thank God for that. But there are some people I talk to who well, I don't have that. Well, they didn't either. They had to be that heritage. It started with them. And that's what he's saying. Command your children. Um, Go over to Genesis chapter number 18, if you will. Keep a marker here in in, uh, Deuteronomy. Genesis 18. If you've been reading through your Bible this year, you started in Genesis. You read this passage. uh, as, As God is talking with Abraham and he's getting ready to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because of their evil. And of course, Lot lived there. That was Abraham's nephew. And look at verse number 17. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham the thing which I do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the, earth, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, that they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment and that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he had spoken of him. The reason God warned Abraham, I'm getting ready to send judgment over there. The reason that he, he said, I can bless Abraham is because God knew something about Abraham. He was going to command his children. He was going to make sure that his children serve God. Take your Bibles, go to Joshua chapter 24. You don't mind using your Bibles in Sunday school, right? Joshua 24. We'll begin at verse number 13. This is Joshua speaking, and he says, And I and I have given you a land for which ye did no labor, and cities which ye built not, and ye dwell in them of the vineyards and olive yards, which ye uh, which he planted not, do ye eat? Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, 
whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We've all heard verse uh, 15 over and over again. I've seen it on the front doors of houses. The interesting thing, when Joshua says this, he's not a young man with small children. He's an old man about to die. This is the end of his life. But he is saying that I have so lived my life and commanded my children that they're going to serve God after me because of my influence. And I want to, I want to say this. It is our responsibility as parents to train our children to serve the Lord. That's our job. That's not the pastor's job. It's not the Christian school's job. As a parent, that's my job. I'm to then influence my grandchildren so that they will serve the Lord. That's what God was talking about. Deuteronomy said that we're to command our children. Uh, You know, Hillary Clinton was famous for saying, it takes a village. No, it takes a parent. My dad did not give us suggestions on how to serve the Lord. He he didn't say, how many of you want to go to church tonight? We never had that vote at the house. You know, we went to church because it was church night. Amen. Uh, I mean, you, did, you, you knew what time to be at the car with your Bible and ready to go. You know, why? Because that's just what we did. Our neighbors could set the clock by what day of the week it was and what time it was by watching us come out all dressed for church with our Bibles getting in the car. That's what it's supposed to be. Amen? And, and, and you just do that. Why? Because that's what you do. You've been taught that. And so the command, first of all, set your heart. Your children will never... Be successful for God if you as a parent do not first determine in your heart this thing of serving God's real to me. I will serve the Lord. And then I'm going to command my children. Uh, so, and then go back to Deuteronomy 32, if you will. And we'll, we've seen the command. Now let's see the cause. Verse, 30, uh, verse 46 of Deuteronomy 32. And he said unto them, Set your hearts unto all the words which I testify among you this day, which ye shall command your children to observe to do all the words of this law. For it is not a vain thing for you, notice this, because it is your life. And through this uh, thing ye shall prolong your days in the land whether you go over Jordan to possess it. He's the cause, because it is your life. Well, just contemplate that. He's just said, set your heart on the things of God, Command your children to follow you in them because that's your life. We get all worked up. Our life is our career. No, it's not. My life is to rear my children for God. God said, that's your life. And that will determine my blessings on you in future generations if you make that your life. It is the thing that should dominate your life. We have too much casual Christianity. When I was pastoring in Ohio, I had a, a young couple that had joined the church. They were, uh, they were Bible college graduates. They, um, they, the, the man owned a construction company. And then the, uh, the, he and his wife both owned a, a, a rehab hospital uh, place there in town. And uh, they, they, they were a good couple. And uh, they, they were coming. They were, they were pretty faithful for a little while. Then they started missing Sunday nights and started missing Wednesday nights. They were there Sunday morning. I'll never forget, I went to him one day, and I began to talk to him, and I said to the husband, I said, man, we sure miss you on Sunday nights, and love to see you on Wednesday night for Bible study. He said, preacher, we get enough church on Sunday morning. Now, 
Think about that statement. You're in the world all week long. There's 178 hours in a week. And if we're going to give a tithe of that to God, that 17.8 hours, we ought to be doing something for God. Just tithing our time. Oh, we get enough on Sunday morning. Don't bother me the rest of the week. And, of course, they weren't in church much longer after that. Man, if we're going to have the blessings of God, it must be our life. We must be focused on that. Uh, and of course, the focus of our life is around the Word of God. Um, I love what Job said in Job 32, uh, I'm sorry, Job 23, verse 12. Where Job says, neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Think about that statement. He said, God's words are more important to me than the food required to keep me alive. More than my necessary food. Uh, David said in Psalm 119, 103, How sweet are thy words unto my taste, yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Well, Job and David said that they would rather read the word of God than to, to, to eat the food of man. They'd rather feed the inner man than the outer man. They'd rather have spiritual nourishment than, than physical nourishment. Let me ask you a question. If you had a choice to read the word of God or have breakfast, what would your choice be? I can help you answer that. What was your choice this morning? Ouch. Dr. John R. Rice had this had an agreement with his wife when they got married. When they got married, they said, no Bible, no breakfast. How many of you like breakfast? I'm not a big breakfast eater. I like breakfast food. Mm-hmm. I don't it just I have to be awake a while before I consume food. Can I get a witness? Yeah. Unless it's warm crispy creams. And then that goes out the window because I'm eating that whole stinking box right now. Just, it's a good thing they're not close to my house. I was preaching one Sunday night and got to talking about food, which I do often when I'm preaching. I don't know why. It just happens. You talk about the things you love, I guess. And I got to talk about Krispy Kremes. How the, you know, the, I think that's what manna is. It's round and sweet like honey. It had to be a Krispy Kreme or an Oreo cookie. One of the two. And so I said, you know, that hot now sign, it flashes. My car will automatically turn into the parking lot. And so while I'm preaching, my phone starts buzzing. I look at it. My son, John, had just sent me the link to the app to tell me when the light's on. I'm going to beat you right here in church. <laughs> we would not go days without food normally. But how many days have we gone without the Word of God? God said it's your life. It's more important than food. It's more important than sleep. Psalm 119, 148, Mine eyes prevent the night watches that I might meditate in thy word. The word prevent, an old English word, means to proceed. What David's talking about, every time the guard changed in the palace for every however many hours, I think it's every two hours, he would wake up before the change so he could think about the Bible and then go back to bed. He'd wake up on purpose in the middle of the night just to think about the things of God. Uh, Psalm 119, verse 72. The law of, my, of thy mouth is better unto me than thousands of gold and silver. The Bible is more valuable than money. What would you sacrifice in order to study the Word of God? God said, it is your life. He then says, uh, go back there to Deuteronomy. I think you're still there. Deuteronomy 32, verse number 46. And he said unto them, Set your hearts unto all the words which I testify among you this day, 
with you, uh, which ye shall command your children to observe to do all the words of the law, for it is not a vain thing for you, because it is your life. Through this thing ye shall prolong your days in the land, whether you go over Jordan to possess it. We're to, we're to do what? We are to, our, the focus of our life ought to be on the Word of God and ought to be on our children to rear them for God. That we command our children, that is our life. We live in a generation where too many families that the focus of their life has become careers. Now, I'm not saying you don't have a job. You are to have a job. Especially you men, okay? Work. I'm going to mess up your thinking, all right? God created a garden in Genesis. And the Bible says that there was not a man found to till the ground. So the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground. Breathed in his nostrils a breath of life. He placed him in the garden. God had a garden. He had a job that needed to be done. So he made a man to do the job in perfection, in paradise. Adam had a job. So get a job, amen. Uh, but the focus is not just on how much money can I make. The focus is living our life for God. It is our life, uh, and we're to, we're to command our children with what we've been taught. Uh, too many of us were concerned about hobbies or, or extra things than we are about our children. You know, I, I'm not a perfect father. I have a daughter here. She would testify to that. That's not the time to say amen, but not a perfect father. But what, you don't say amen either right there, all right? <laughs> I miss my big college ring that would sit on there. I'd smack my boys on the top of the head with it. Just turn it like that, bump them. That's why they all have divots right here in their head. But my wife and I made a determination when our kids were born. We were going to rear them for God. We would base decisions for our life and ministry and even jobs based upon what would help my children spiritually. You see, I only have one opportunity to do that. My kids are all grown. Three of the four are married. And uh, we're getting ready to auction Sarah off on eBay if somebody doesn't marry her soon. But anyway, don't tell her I said that. I will deny it. She's heard it before, so she'll believe it. But uh, we just determined this is important. You see, you're not a success if your children make millions of dollars but live for the devil. You're a success if you raise godly children. I, I love what um, uh, Dr. David Gibbs, the founder of, uh, of Christian Law Association, said. He said, it is the job of every Christian parent to rear Christian soldiers for Jesus Christ. That's our job. And And... You know, I, I, I want my kids to be successful. I want them to make money because they're going to have to take care of me and mama one day. <laughs> Now's the time to say amen. They're like, yeah, that's not happening. <laughs> Y'all living in the shed in the backyard that, the, that the, the HOA won't let us build. But anyway, I'm in trouble. Pray for me. But anyway, no, I, I, what, what success is our kids living for God. That's what John was talking about when he said, I have no greater joy than to see my children walking in truth. I have a handout for you, brother. Uh, Caleb, could you help me hand these out? This is um, a little rule. I wish I had time to go through them. Susanna Wesley's Rules for Rearing Children. Uh, 16 things she said. I'll read through the introduction quickly. She was a mother of 19, and she didn't go to textbooks for how to rear children. She went through her Bible. Uh, and this is over 200 years ago she did this. Her rules... Uh, are valid today for teaching children to be obedient and to cry softly. That's what she told them. And um, 
said, no, uh, allow no eating between meals to put all children in bed by eight o'clock to require them to take medicine without complaining to subdue self-will in a child and thus work together to save his soul. Boy, that was an important one because they're going to have to submit their will to God if they're going to get saved. Teach each one to pray as soon as he can speak. Require all to be still during family worship. To give them nothing they cry for and only that which they ask for politely. To prevent lying, punish no fault which is first confessed and repented of. Never allow a sinful act to go unpunished. Never punish a child twice for a single offense. Commend and reward good behavior. Any attempt to please, even if poorly performed, should be commended. Uh, like you fellas, you're out working on your car and your son's helping you. Helping you. Breaking the things you just fixed. Thank him for helping you. That's what he's talking about. Um, preserve property rights, even in the smallest matters. Strictly observe all promises. Listen, number 15, require no daughter to work before she can read well. It's an interesting one. And teach children to fear the rod. Say, how'd she do? Well, you've heard two of her kids, heard of them, John and Charles Wesley. They're two of her sons. What an amazing, amazing list there. You see, your children are your life. Not your career, not your money, not your hobby. Realize my family is the most important important possession I have from God, Psalm 127, 3, lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is His reward. I'll give you this thought. My children are the only tangible thing I have in this life that I can take to eternity. Nothing else. That's how important it is. The consequence, verse 47, is not a vain for you because it is your life, and through this thing you shall prolong your days in the land. God will bless you. You'll live longer if you obey the Bible. I've got probably about 30 seconds. Let me just give you this story. J. Wilbur Chapman, a famous preacher, said, I was standing in Tiffany's great store in New York and heard a salesman say to a lady, Madam, this pearl is worth $17,000. This was about over 100 years ago. Uh, and I was interested and said, please let me see the pearl that is worth 17000 The salesman put a piece of black cloth, uh, put it on a piece of black cloth, and he said, I was looking at it. As I looked at that beautiful store, I imagined they're bringing all their stock up to my house and saying, we want you to take care of this tonight. So what do you think I would do? I would go to the telephone, and I would call the chief of police. I have all of Tiffany's stock in my house. Will you send some of your officers to help me protect it tonight? He said, but I have a little boy in my house for which I am responsible. I've had him for nine years. And some of you have just the same kind of a little fella. He said, I turn to this old book and read the words, What shall it profit a man if, I, if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? He said, if I had all the diamonds and pearls in one hand and just that little boy in the other, the boy would be worth more than all the jewels. He said, you would tremble if you had millions of dollars worth of jewels in your house tonight. But how can you go to your father in prayer every night and not be concerned about the little lad God put in your home? That's the value. It is your life. I just challenge you. Uh, focus. Focus on the things of God. This world's great at distractions. Let's remove those and let's focus on the things of God. Realize we have one opportunity to rear our children. You don't get a second chance. You have one. Let's be serious about it and serve God. Father, thank you for these young couples. Thank you for the opportunity to serve you. I pray you'll take these thoughts, help us today to be focused on living for you and helping our children to live for you. I pray you'll bless the service to follow in Jesus' name. Amen.